Chapter Fifteen of the Riddle of the Frozen Flame by Mary E. Hanshaw and Thomas W. Hanshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen: A Startling Disclosure. Cleek took a sudden step forward. "What's that? What's that?" he rapped out sharply. "Your shot, Sir Nigel. This is something I haven't heard of before." And it's likely to cause trouble. Explain, please. But Merriton was past explaining anything just then, for he had bowed his head in his hands, and was sobbing in great heart-wrung sobs with Doctor Bartholomew's arms about him, sobs that told of the nerve strain which gave them birth, that told of the tenseness under which he had lived these last weeks. And now the thread had snapped, and all the broken, jangling nerves of the man had been loosed and torn his control to atoms. The doctor shook him gently, but with firm fingers. "Don't be a fool, boy. Don't be a fool," he said over and over again, as he waved the other away. And taking out a little phial from his waistcoat pocket, dropped a dose from it into a wine glass and forced it between the man's lips. Don't make an ass of yourself, Nigel. The shot you fired was nothing. The mere whim of a man whose brain had been fired by champagne, and who wasn't therefore altogether responsible for his actions. He whipped round suddenly upon Cleek. His faded eyes, with their fringe of almost white lashes, flashing like points of light from the seamed and wrinkled frame of his face. If you want to hear that foolish part of the story, I can give it to you," he said sharply, "because I happen to be there. You? Yes, I. Mister Headland, isn't it? Ah, thanks. But the boy's unstrung, nerve-racked. He's been through too much. The whole beastly thing has made a mess of him, and he was a fool to meddle with it. Nigel Merriton fired a shot that night when Dacre Wynne disappeared, Mister Headland. Fired it after he had gone up to his room. A little overexcited with too much champagne, a little overwrought by the scene through which he had just passed with the man who had always exercised such a sinister influence over his life. So Sir Nigel was no good friend of this man Wins. Then remarked Cleek quietly, as if he did not already know the fact. The doctor looked up as though he were ready to spring upon him and tear him limb from limb. No, he said furiously, and neither would you have been if you'd known him, great hulking bully that he was. I tell you, I've seen the man use his influence upon this boy here until. Fine, upstanding chap that he is, and I've known him and his people ever since he was a baby. He succeeded in making him as weak as a hysterical girl, and gloated over it too. Cleek drew in a quiet breath, 
and gave his shoulders the very slightest of twitches to show that he was listening. Very interesting, Doctor, as psychological studies of the kind go, he said smoothly, stroking his chin and looking down at the bowed shoulders of the man in the armchair with something almost like sorrow in his eyes. But we've got to get down to brass tacks, you know. This thing's serious. It's got to be proved. If it can't be, well, it's going to be mighty awkward for Sir Nigel. Now, let's hear the thing straight out from the person most interested, please. I don't like to appear thoughtless in any way, but this is a serious admission you've just made. Sir Nigel, I beg of you. Tell us the story before the constable comes. It might make things easier for you in the long run. Merriton, thus addressed, threw up his head suddenly and showed a face marked with mental anguish, dry-eyed, deathly white. He got slowly to his feet and went over to the table, leaning his hand upon it as though for support. Oh, well, he said listlessly, you might as well hear it first as last. Dr. Bartholomew's right, Mr. Headland. I did fire a shot upon the night of Dacre Wynne's disappearance, and I fired it from my bedroom window. It was like this. Wynne had gone, and after waiting for him to come back away past the given time, we all made up our minds to go to bed, and Tony West, a pal of mine who was one of the guests, and the doctor here, accompanied me to my room door. Dr. Bartholomew had a room next to mine. In that part of the house the walls are thin, and although my revolver, which I always carry with me, Mr. Headland, since I lived in India, is one of those almost soundless little things, still the sound of it reached him. Is it of small calibre? asked Cleek at this juncture. Merriton nodded gravely. As you say, of small calibre, you can see it for yourself. Borkins, he turned toward the man who was standing by the doorway, his hands hanging at his sides, his manner a trifle obsequious. Will you bring it from the left-hand drawer of my dressing-table? Here is the key. He tossed over a bunch of keys, and they fell with a jangling sound upon the floor at Borkin's feet. Very good, Sir Nigel, said the man, and withdrew, leaving the door open behind him, however, as though he were afraid to lose any of the story that was being told in the quiet morning-room. When he had gone, Merriton resumed, I'm not a superstitious man, Mr. Headland, but that old wife's tale of the frozen flames and the new one coming out every time they claimed another victim seemed to have burnt its way into my brain. That and the champagne together, and then close upon it Dacre Wynne's foolish bet to find out what the things were. 
when I went up to my room, and after saying good-night to the doctor here, closed the door and locked it, I then crossed to the window and looked out at the flames, and as I looked, believe it or not, as you will, another flame suddenly sprang up at the left of the others, a flame that seemed brighter, bigger than any of the rest, a flame that bore with it the message, I am Dacre Wynne. Cleek smiled crookedly and went on stroking his chin. "'Rather a fanciful story, that, Sir Nigel,' he said. "'But go on. What happened?' "'Why, I fired at the thing. I picked up my revolver, and, in a sort of blind rage, fired at it through the open window. And I believe I said something like this, "'Damn it, why won't you go?' "'I'll make you go, you maddening little devil.' "'Though I know those weren't the identical words I spoke. "'As soon as the shot was fired, my brain cleared. "'I began to feel ashamed of myself. "'Thought what a fool I'd look in front of the boys if they heard the story. "'And just at that moment Dr. Bartholomew knocked at the door.' Here the doctor nodded vigorously as though to corroborate these statements, and made as if to speak. Cleek silenced him with a gesture. "'And then what next, Sir Nigel?' Merriton cleared his throat before proceeding. There was a drawn look upon his face. "'The doctor said he thought he had heard a shot, and asked me what it was.' And I replied, nothing, only I was potting at the flames. This seemed to amaze him, as it would any sane man, I should think, and as no doubt it is amazing you, Mr. Headland, amazing you and making you think what a fool the fellow is after all. Well, I showed the doctor the revolver in my hand, and he laughingly said that he'd take it to bed with him, in case I should start potting at him by mistake. Then I got into bed, after making him promise he wouldn't breathe a word to anybody of what had occurred, as the others would be sure to laugh at me. And that's all. Hmm, and quite enough, too, I should say, broke in Cleek as the man finished. It sounds true enough, believe me, from your lips. "'and I know you for an honourable man. "'But what sort of a credence do you think an average jury is going to place upon it? "'Do you think they'd believe you?' "'He shook his head. "'Never. "'They'd simply laugh at the whole thing, "'and say you are either drunk or dreaming. "'People in the twentieth century don't indulge in superstition to that extent, Sir Nigel.' or at least, if they do, they let their reason govern their actions as far as possible. It's a tall story at best, if you'll forgive me for saying so. Merriton's face went a dull, sultry red. His eyes flamed. Then you don't believe me? he said impatiently. Cleek raised a hand. "'I don't say that for one moment,' he replied. 
what i say is would a judge and jury believe you that is the question and my answer to it is no you've had every provocation to take dacre wynne's life so far as i can learn every provocation that is that a man of unsound mentality who would stoop to murder could have to justify himself in his own eyes things look exceedingly black against you sir nigel you can swear to this statement as far as your part in it is concerned dr bartholomew absolutely said the doctor though plainly showing that he felt it was no business of the supposed mr headland's well that's good but if only there had been another witness someone who actually saw this thing done or who had heard the pistol shot not that i'm doubting your word at all doctor it might help to elucidate matters there is no one you know of who could have heard and not spoken at this juncture borkins came quietly into the room holding the little revolver in his right hand and handed it to cleek if you please sir he said impassively and with a quick look into merriton's grave face i heard and i can speak if the jury wants me to i don't doubt but what my tale would be worth listening to if only to add my evidence to the rest that man there he pointed one shaking forefinger at his master's face and glowered into it for a moment was the murderer of poor mr wynne End of chapter 15